this. <clears throat> and uh, would like to go through uh, at least a portion of the book of Nehemiah. I'm not sure if we'll go through all of it yet in Sunday school. But uh, Nehemiah is a contemporary uh, of Ezra and Malachi. There was, it was around the time of about 440 or so B.C. Uh, the king of Persia, Artaxerxes, is on the throne at this time. Artaxerxes is a uh, direct descendant from Queen Esther. And when you think about um, some of the things that uh, God just seems to instrumentally put into place, uh, you, you look that, that not only did Esther come to the palace for such a time as delivering the, the Israelites in that time of need, but raised her children and then her grandchildren. And if I remember correctly, I think it's Artaxerxes is the great-grandchild of Esther. And the influence, the godly influence, and the heart for the Jews that, were, that was placed in her children that allowed, I believe, Artaxerxes to have a compassion on the situation that Nehemiah is facing here. And nothing, nothing takes place by accident. Have you noticed that? Um, I understand that we can make things happen by... Uh, forcing our free will on what God desires oftentimes. But uh, God always uh, finds a way, doesn't he? Even to take the things that we mess up and uh, find some way to make them good. And, uh, and so I, I wish it was not the case that he always had to fix our mess-ups, uh, but I'm glad that he can take things that are messed up and still make something good of them. Uh, if he couldn't do that, I'd be, I'd be lost and you'd be lost today. But he took sinful man, which was definitely not his plan when he created him in the Garden of Eden. And he found a way, didn't he? And what, a, what an amazing God when we look at it from that perspective. And so I want us to look at some things. The theme of Nehemiah is rebuilding. And uh, in the first half of the book, you'll find that they spend some time rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that had been destroyed um, and the gates had been burned with fire. Uh, understand that back in that time when uh, uh, a empire was going through the land and conquering, oftentimes they would set siege to a city. They would camp outside with their large armies. They would cut off uh, all their food, all their water, those types of things, and cause them to surrender based on their needs. And um, so once that took place, they hauled a bunch of people, and this all started mainly under Nebuchadnezzar's reign and the Babylonian reign, uh, with Daniel, if you remember, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they set siege to Jerusalem. And when they won the battle, they took these young people, and the, the sharpest, the brightest uh, young people, and they took them back to Babylon uh, so that they could uh, integrate them. And, and that was oftentimes the case, that they would um, merge these people in and integrate them into their empire. And so they did that, and then these cities would have to pay tribute. Uh, Jerusalem was unique in the sense that they had actually had their walls destroyed and their gates burned down. That didn't always take place. Uh, a lot of times the cities were left intact. But in this case, they had been destroyed. The temple had been destroyed as well, and all of the vessels of the temple had been hauled off um, as spoils of war. And so that's kind of the setting that we find uh, as we start the book of Nehemiah. Let's start in chapter number 1, and uh, we're going to start in verse number 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of uh, Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came. 
he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there is in the prov- there in the providence in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And Father, we pray that you will bless uh, the teaching time today. Lord, use it as you would see fit once again. Control our hearts and thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We find that, that Nehemiah finds a problem here. And uh, he's burdened for it. He, he has somebody that's been to Jerusalem, has seen the, the, the situation. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king, so he's serving in Shushan there at the palace. And uh, when Hananiah comes back, he says, Hananiah, what's, what's the state of Jerusalem? And Hananiah gives the report. And this was the report. He said, the walls are still destroyed and the gates have been burned with fire. And I thought of that oftentimes in our lives. I, I was talking with somebody here just in the last week or so um, about our personal lives and our personal walk with God. Uh, I know one of the great struggles, at least I know in my life, and I, I think many Christians face this, is maintaining that personal walk with God in such a vibrant way, uh, in a way that is, uh, we're not just going through the motions. Um, sometimes we, we, and this is what typically happens, when we are walking with God the way that we should, uh, He creates a right spirit inside of us. And then because of that spirit, we begin to, to take it easy and kind of put it on cruise control. And we rejoice in it, and we're thankful for it, but we don't keep, continue to press toward the mark from that point on. We just kind of sometimes put it on, on cruise control. And uh, we just kind of um, uh, get lackadaisical, I guess. Complacent might be the word. Um, and even though we're still reading our Bibles, and even though we're still praying, it just seems like that walk with Him is not as, as wonderful as it used to seem. It's not quite as sweet as it used to be. And I don't know if any of the rest of you go through things like that, but certainly there are times in my life I've gone through those things and, and continue to go through them. It's never a, a battle that we face one time and then get over it and never have to deal with it again. But uh, the Bible talks very clearly about the fact that there are times that uh, we need to stir up. And Paul told Timothy, uh, you need to stir up the gift that's within you. Well, if the gift was already in him, he just needed somebody to come along and stir it up again. Stir the embers of revival. We talk about having revival sometimes, and that's really what we mean by that. That our hearts be stirred once again. That we, we, we have that. Uh, I like what the psalmist said. He, he asked the Lord, he said, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I, I, used to, I used to read that verse wrong, and I quoted it wrong for a lot of years. And I used to say, restore to me the joy of my salvation. But it's not my salvation, it's His. It's His salvation, the salvation that He gave to me. And the psalmist said, restore it unto me, this joy that I used to have, and, and I, I've lost it somewhere along the way. And uh, so I looked at that, and I thought, boy, you know, I, I know that I battle that. I know that other people battle that. And I thought, well, can there be some things that we can learn from the life of Nehemiah to help us. Because what happened is Satan set siege to our, our walk with God sometimes, and he breaks down those walls. We get, we get complacent. We don't, uh, we're not as watchful. We're not as uh, sober and vigilant to guard it. 
And Satan comes in sometimes and he robs us of our joy. And he robs us of our, our excitement and our zeal for God. And uh, so I want us to look at some things that Nehemiah does here that I think are very, very crucial. Um, we find here as we get to verse number 3 that Nehemiah recognizes that there is a problem. And I believe that's probably one of the hardest things to come to grips with as a Christian. When we take a look, when we stop and take a look at our life and our walk with God, uh, we're quick to say, I'm okay. Have you, have you noticed that? We, we do. We, we don't tend to say, my walk is lacking or I've struggled in this area. And sometimes we need somebody that's a dear friend or brother even to point it out to us and say, boy, I've just noticed you're not as happy as you used to be. There's not as much uh, joy there as you used to be. And uh, we ought to thank the Lord for those folks, by the way, uh, when they come into our lives and encourage us in those ways. But he noticed that there was a problem. And one of the, the big problems, I think, is God's people that we face when these things happen is recognizing right off that there's a problem, and the problem is not God's problem. It's mine. Uh, and that's, that's the hard thing to swallow for me. That's the hardest thing I have to deal with. Jeremiah is removed from the situation, but he hears from a friend. There's a problem. And notice what it says here in verse 3, And he said unto me, they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Because they were living in this affliction, because they were living in these conditions, they were being a reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, also is broken down, and the gates are ever burned with fire. And notice Nehemiah's response. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and fasted. I mourned in certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There are several things that are found in this verse that I think are crucial when we find ourselves in that place where we've lost our joy. I'm reminded of Jacob when he was fleeing Esau, and God met with him at Bethel, and some great, great changes were made in Jacob's life. Years later, as he's got a family of his own, that spirit that he had when he was at Bethel, that love for God that he had when he was at Bethel, where he finally said, you're going to be my God. You're not my dad's God anymore. You're not just the, the, the God of Abraham and Isaac. You're going to be my God. And he went from that point in his life to a point several years later where his family was involved in idolatry, if you remember that. And he told his family, he said, I want you to put the idols away. And I want to make sure the kids are right. And I want to make sure the wives are right. And we're going to go back to Bethel. We're going to go back to where God met with us. And he took time out of his life, out of his, whatever the things were that he did on a daily basis, he took time and said, if I'm going to correct this, I've got to take some time. And probably one of the hardest things you and I have to do is to sit down when these things happen. To sit down. To give us time to deal with the issue. Nehemiah, the Bible says here in verse number 4 that he sat down and wept. He wasn't serving the king during this time. He wasn't being the, the, the cupbearer. He sits down and he, he makes time out of his schedule 
to, to weigh the problem. The weight of that problem bore very heavy on his heart. The Bible says that he sat down and he wept. And now there are times that I am concerned about my personal walk with the Lord. But there have been a few times in my life that I have been broken because of my walk with the Lord. And for us to get back to that place where the walls are rebuilt and the gates are reconstructed and that walk with God is protected once again and that joy and that fellowship is there once again, I believe we have to come to a place where we're broken that it's lost to begin with. He weeps over this. Notice what it says here. He weeps and he mourns certain days. This isn't something he takes lightly. This isn't something that he just recognizes as a problem and says, well, when I get a little bit of time, I'll deal with it. And he goes on with his life. The Bible says not only did he sit down and weep, but he said he mourned for certain days. I don't know how many days. The Bible doesn't tell us. But this was something that was so important to him. And so he's mourning for several days. And the Bible says that he fasted. And can I tell you this? This is always the answer to get back to God, isn't it? He prayed. Boy, isn't that sweet? I was see. I saw something on the, on the Facebook. I think it was this week a meme that somebody had posted. I don't know who had posted it, but it said, and, and this is an amazing thought. It says, no matter how far you walk away from God, it only takes one step to return back to Him. Well, what a what a great God. I don't know about you, but that, that, give, that gives me joy in my heart. To think that I, I even though, and God knows I'm going to fall, fall away. God knows there's going to be times that I'm going to be closer to Him than I'm not. And times I'm going to be further away from Him than I am. God knows that those times are going to come. And the fact that He's still waiting there with open arms every time I turn back to Him. I love that. I do. I love that so much. So He fasts and He prays. Notice he turns to the right place for the solution. <laughs> he, he, he goes to God. I, I don't know. I, I, when I was younger, I probably struggled with this more, but I still struggle with it. There's still times in my life that when a problem comes my way, God is not the first place I go to. You ever been there? <laughs> you think, boy, I can do it. I can get through this on my own. Or you go to a friend or you, you, you try to find other ways to deal with the issue. And, uh, you know, I, I heard somebody say that when it comes to our praying, that God ought to be our steering tires, not the spare tire. It ought to be the thing that guides us in our decisions, not the things we use in the case of an emergency. And, uh, boy, I'll tell you, I, I, I get a lot out of this when I read this about Nehemiah. He's broken. He sees the, the problem. His heart is, is crushed. He's mourning certain days. And he fasts and he prays to the God of heaven. He goes to the right place for the answer. Now notice what it says here. In verse number 5, and reading on down to about verse number 10 or so, we're going to find, 11 I think it is, or 12, we're going to find his prayer. And we're going to take a few minutes today, Lord willing, we'll get through his prayer Today, But there's a couple of things I'd like us to point out about Nehemiah's prayer uh, when he does come to God. We're going to start in verse 5. The Bible says, and said, so this is him coming to God. 
What's the very next, what's the third word in verse number five? A little one letter word. I. <laughs> if you go down through this prayer and underline all the times that Nehemiah says I and we. Nehemiah did not blame others for his condition. You ever, you ever done that? I've done it before. Well, that person got me riled up. That person got me upset. And I've blamed others for my condition. Nehemiah comes. And the thing that touches me most in this prayer is it's a very personal prayer. He prays for his nation. He prays for the condition of his nation. But he comes to God and he says, God, certainly there are some things that Israel needs to do, but you need to start right here. You need to start with me. I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need your direction. I need your mercy. Notice what he says here. I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God. Now that word terrible doesn't mean bad. You know, we think of terrible as awful and bad and something in a negative sense. It just means that he's so full of power. He's mighty. He's uh, one to uh, look for and, and realize that there's none like him. And uh, that's the, the word that is used here. Uh, <clears throat> the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant. Isn't that an amazing statement? God knows that we'll never keep covenant, but he always will. And mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. In verse number 5, we see him extolling the God of heaven. I'm reminded of Isaiah in chapter number 6 when he says, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he saw the seraphims that were flying around the throne. Remember that? With the six wings. They were crying, Holy, holy, holy. And then I want you to notice verse 6. Let thine ear be now be attentive, and thine eyes open, that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy what? A servant. Not thy prophet, not thy priest, not thy preacher. Thy servant. We find in these two verses the answer of coming back to God. We must lift up Christ and we must humble self. And John said it best when he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. When I was in college, a professor worded it this way. He told me one day in class, he was talking to us, and he said, there's two things that will change your life. When you see God as He really is, and when you see yourself the way that God sees you. And both of them are along the lines of what Nehemiah does here. He looks to the God of heaven, and he says, you're a great and terrible God. You're a God that keeps covenant. You're a God that loves no matter what and has mercy and observes your commandments and those that love Him. And he says in verse number 6, Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now night, uh, day and night. For the children of Israel thy servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which, notice the word, we have sinned against thee. He's praying for Israel, and he doesn't say they. He says we. Oh my, what a thought. What a thought. Both I and my father's house have sinned. 
We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. I love that. We lose the joy. We, we, maybe our walk with God is not what it should be or we've grown accustomed to it or, or it's grown stagnant. Maybe the walls have been broken down. We've not protected it. We've not guarded it. We've not pressed. But you know, Nehemiah here tells God and, and expresses this thought to God. He said, you've told us as a nation that if we don't do what you've told us to do, you'll scatter us. He said, but this I also know. He said, I know that if we come back to you and begin to keep your commandments, that you'll gather us. And I love this. He says in verse number 9, he says, I will bring them unto the place. I'm sorry, back up to verse 9. But if you turn unto me, uh, turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the what? The uttermost. You know you cannot get out of the reach of God. There's never a place you and I can get to where God says you've gone too far. Never. The psalmist said, Though I ascend up to the heavens, or though I make my bed in hell, or, or though I go into the uttermost parts of the earth, he talks about the presence of God being there. There's no place that he could go to get away from him. In the New Testament, it talks about, Shall principalities or powers or things present or things to come or height or depth he says, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I've had times that I've gotten cold and distant, perhaps, from the Lord, where I was going through the motions of my devotion time and my time of reading Scripture and praying. I'm so glad and grateful that we have a God that every time I turned back to Him, He was waiting there. It didn't matter how far I went. He says, though they've been scattered to the uttermost, he said, then he will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Now notice in verse 10, he says, now these are thy servants and thy people whom thou hast redeemed by thy great power and by thy strong hand. Again, in verse 10, we see a humbling of himself and his nation, and we see an exalting of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see an exalting of God himself. In verse 11, he says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants. It's a peculiar way to phrase that. And once again, it shows Nehemiah saying, Lord, I want you to take care of this person first. I want want this to happen. We've talked about revival before and how uh, for us to get revival, oftentimes we'll draw a circle around ourselves and we ask the Lord, Lord, I want you to start it right here. Inside this circle. I want you to begin revival in my heart. I want you to stir my heart. I, I, want, I want something fresh and new. I want something that is vibrant to the Christian life. I want something that's exciting me day in and day out. I, I want to love God more today than I did yesterday when I woke up. 
I want to wake up tomorrow morning excited about what is God going to do in my life today. To every day get up with the idea in mind, I'm going to press toward the mark. I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to pursue. I've been watching a few clips of some of the Olympic trials and some of these folks that are running these races. And you watch as they put every ounce of strength they have and they get to the last little bit right before the finish line. And have you ever seen those runners, what they do? They're running straight up all the way down there until they get right to the tape. And at the last minute, they arch forward as hard as they can to get that last ounce of of distance. I want that to be my life every day. In the Christian life, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I want to press harder tomorrow than I did today. I want to draw closer to Him tomorrow than I did today. I want to have more joy when I go to bed tomorrow night at what God has done in that day than I did today. Now, is it going to happen all the time? No. But we can make the effort every day. There will come things that will disappoint. There will come things that will cause our spirits to fall. The walls might get broken down and the gates might get burned. But all we have to do is start to come to God again and pray and say, Lord, I want to have you hear my prayer. We need to give Him His rightful place. We need to have humility in our hearts. And we get to verse number uh, 11, towards the latter part. (coughs) He says, I want you to hear the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant, this day and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. I think when it comes to the time that we spend in prayer coming back to God, we need to understand that anything that God chooses to do from that point forward is only because of His mercy. We, we oftentimes get to be very proud. And if we're not careful, we become very arrogant in dealing with God and we begin to... Um, I, I know that Hebrews tells us to come boldly, but it does not tell us to come arrogantly. We can come boldly because He is our Father and because we are now part of His family. But we need to come every time to Him realizing that He owes us nothing. That anything He chooses to do in our life is only because of His mercy. Because of His grace. Because I'll be honest with you, as often as I fail God, and as often as we read in in this book that Israel has failed God over and over and over again, For Him to continue to let them come back to Him is an amazing thing. And it is only because of His mercy. Oh, that we would learn to come to the right place. Several things I think that we need to keep in mind. When we lose this this time with God, this joy in our hearts, we need to stop and take some time. Put, Put the pause button on life. Realize there's a problem and say, I need to get this right again. We need to be burdened about it. And not just slightly, but we need to be broken over it. We need to come to the right place, and that is to God. We need to pray. We need to lift Him up, and we need to humble ourselves. And we need to recognize that anything that God does is only through His mercy. If we can learn these lessons from just the first chapter. And we're not even into the rest of the book yet. It's already good. 
If we can learn these lessons, it will help us every time that the walls need to be rebuilt in our life and every time that the gates need to be put back in place. So I, want to, I hope that will be a help to us today. If you want to, we're going to stay in here at least through the first half of the book. We may go through the last half. Uh, the first half of it deals with the physical rebuilding of the wall, and then the latter half of the book deals with the spiritual rebuilding of Israel. And uh, we may go through the whole book. I'm not sure yet uh, if we're going to go through all of it, uh, but we may. And if you'd like to, uh, you can read ahead to chapter 2 next week and um, maybe see what the Lord gives you before we even get to Sunday school. And uh, we'll pick up there next week. All right? Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for your word, how it guides and instructs us. And, Lord, the vivid and, and clear illustrations that you give us in Old Testament to help us with current day problems, things that happen in our lives. And, Lord, I know that this is an area that I've battled. And I know that this is an area that others have had to battle. And I pray that you would help us to take the lessons learned the examples shown and put them into practice in our lives, that we would learn to be able to come to you in a humble spirit and exalting you and putting our, our pride down and lifting you up and allowing you to, through your mercy, deal with us as you would uh, deal uh, with any of your children with a heart of compassion and long-suffering, a heart of love and a heart of mercy. So, Father, we're grateful for all that you've taught us already this morning. and pray that you'll bless the service to follow, that you'll speak to our hearts and encourage us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.